Good morning. I'd like to encourage you to go ahead and take out your Bibles and, and follow along this morning as, as we discuss something that I think is going to be, uh, is going to be something that, that probably many times we overlook within our lives. Maybe we, we don't give enough thought to it. Maybe we, we kind of think it's uh, something that just, should just come kind of natural to us. And I'm going to encourage us to take a closer look at a, at a problem that I, I definitely see a lot of times in the world today. As we are uh, opening our Bibles, you can go ahead and turn them to the book of Mark. We'll be beginning in just a little bit. I'd like to take a moment to thank each and every one of you for being with us, especially our visitors, those who have chosen uh, to, to come out and worship the one true God with us. We are always encouraged to see a, uh, a new face around here, and we uh, hope that you will just stick around a little bit afterwards. Let us get to know you a little bit. It doesn't take much of, a, of an insert, uh, internet search to, into some of today's hottest topics to reveal a very disturbing mindset. Whether it be that you're looking at the political race and the anger and the hatred that we see towards uh, really all three candidates, depending on, on which side of the aisle, I guess, that you, that you stand on. Or whether it be that you're looking at the wars that are raging overseas, terrorist attacks, murder, or even the shooting of a 17-year-old gorilla in the Cincinnati Zoo. If you spend much time at all reading many of the different avenues people have of expressing their opinions, uh, whether it be on social media or whether it be in the comment sections of a local newspaper, what you hear are a lot of the same emotions. You hear a lot of hate. You do hear a lot of anger. And I have to ask myself, why is that? Why are we such an angry people? Why are we so hate-filled so often? Now, for much of the world, I believe that it might be due to the possibility that, that maybe we, they just don't have a, uh, they haven't been well acquainted yet, well enough acquainted with God and with the peace and the love that He provides. But what bothers me really is so much hate that seems to be spewing from those who claim to be the oracles of God, who claim to be the mouthpieces of God. Yes, I'm talking about Christians. Why so much hate and so much anger oftentimes seems to, to spew out from the mouth of a Christian? Why is that? I wonder, I wonder if it's possible that we are fundamentally flawed when it comes to our view of what is the opposite of hate, and that is love. In many times, the minds of many, love is simply an emotion, something that we, we, uh, we fall into just as fast as we fall out of. It is something that can't be forced. It is something that, like the tide, comes and goes. Maybe this is the reason why we can be so prone to be hate-filled and to be, and to be anger-filled, and to act unkindly, and to act judgmental, and even to act snobbish towards other people, especially when those other people don't stand on the same side of our logic. But yet we are commanded to love. And not just in the sense of an act of goodwill, not just in the sense of our actions, but also in the sense of our affection, and of our friendships. This probably brings to mind two Greek words that so oftentimes go with any study of love, that is agape, and that is phileo. Agape being that love which puts us into motion in our outward actions of kindness. And phileo being that tender and that considerate or consideration of others, most often associated with that of a parent and a child. And while we may have very well memorized the meanings of these Greek words, have we really learned to put them into action? Let's spend some time this morning not only delving into God's Word to learn more about love, but also examining our own lives and seeing if we have become out of touch with love. Perhaps a review of how we are commanded to love is in order. Also, how we are taught to develop 
and, and emotional love towards others uh, and towards other persons. So let's begin this morning with the command to love because we are commanded to love. We're commanded to love God and Jesus. If you're here in Mark, look in chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. Uh, starting in verse 29, Jesus said the foremost, uh, the foremost uh, of the commands, the foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the goal of all of, all of God's dealings with humanity, to produce this love for Him, an agape type love, a love that is motivated to action, one that will spur one to obedience. This is played out over and over again throughout the Bible, but perhaps seen most vividly within the Garden of Eden. When God created man and He placed him within the, gar within the garden, why did God create the tree of life and the tree of, uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Why did God place the tree within the garden that man lived? Why did not God create a man that would be submissive to Him and would not choose to be disobedient? Because God was not interested in creating a robot. God was interested in creating one who would choose to love Him. Who would choose to be obedient to Him. God desires for us to have a true love for Him. A true love is one that has a freedom to reject, but a fervor to refuse to do so. We are also warned in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 22. We are warned in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 22 to love Jesus. The love talked about here is a phileo love. A love that is of tenderness of heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22 says, If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha. It has been argued over whether or not this is actually a command to love Jesus. We just got a TV at our house not too long ago. A little bit bigger TV. And one of the things that I told the boys was, I told them that I would give them a spanking if I caught them throwing their balls. Their, uh, they have some really big inflatable balls. I said, if I catch you throwing those balls in that TV room, you're getting a spanking. I never specifically commanded them not to throw a ball in the TV room, but they very well understood that as a command not to do that, not to do so. Our love for Jesus is so much more than just obligatory, though. It should flow from the tender care that we have towards the Son of God. It should flow towards Him who shed His blood for us so that we might have a hope of living. And we are warned to love Jesus and to love Him even more than, possible, than we even love our own families. Matthew chapter 10, and in verse 37. It says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross follow after me is not worthy of me. So about those who love their family members, those who even love themselves more than Christ. We are warned over and over again to have a love for both, uh, commanded to have a, a love of both God and of Jesus. We are also commanded to have a love for those who are in our community. Back in Mark chapter 12, we just read about the command to love God. But in verse 31, we read the second of this. That was the foremost. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, there is no other commandment greater than these. <clears throat> Saying I love my neighbor, unfortunately, as much as we would like for that to equate to agape love, does not equal agape type of love. 
Rather, making sacrifices of our time, sacrifices of our money, sacrifices of, of our desires to show our neighbors, to put into action those that, that we come into contact with, not necessarily the people that live to the left and to the right of our households, but all those that we come into contact with the world, to show them that you, that, that you have a love for them, and that you're going to display a love for them. And maybe one that's a little bit even more to the point, a little bit harder for us to, to hear than that, is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. It says, But I say to you, love, again, it is agape, I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've wondered what a Facebook post or, or, or a comment made through an email would have looked like if a Christian had had this, this passage posted on their desktop, maybe written across the top of their smartphone. I am supposed to agape my enemy. Even if we are separated by thousands of miles, even if that enemy is battling me over the fields of cyberspace, I must find a way to show them goodwill. We are also commanded to love those who are in our families. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. I read about the love of a husband for the wife. <clears throat> Ephesians 5, verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then skipping down to verse 28. It says, So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Again, husbands are called to sacrifice themselves for their wives. Naturally, I have not been the very best at this. I have to choose to make this sacrifice. It's not something that comes very natural to me. But the silly thing I've found in my life is every single time I've made the decision to sacrifice myself for Holly, it feels less and less like a sacrifice and more and more like a relationship. Wives also are told to love their husbands. It's uh, spoken of here in the, the word philandros, to love as a friend. In Titus chapter 2, <clears throat> Titus chapter 2 and verse 4, talking about um, older women teaching younger women, it says so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands. And then also it talks about to love their children. The word for husbands was philandros, to love as a friend. And the word for children is philetikinus, which is to be fond of one's child. You know, it may seem strange to have to command one to love their family. It may seem like a very odd thing for, for, for something to have to be talked about within uh, the words uh, of the Holy Scriptures. We would think that that would be something that would come so very natural to us when we are in the relationships that we have with our families that we would love one another. As the commentator uh, Ronald Ward once stated, he said, love does not always flow out of a person, even a wife or even a mother. It does not always flow as if from coming from a mountain spring, love, even within the family, requires thoughtfulness. And we also see that we are commanded to love those who are in the church. John chapter 13, and verse 34, a passage we are all very well familiar with. And Jesus has humbled himself and is serving the disciples in, in the way of washing their feet. And he says in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. 
very real love talked about there, the idea of an agape love, a love that is, that is in motion, a love that is active, a love that, that thinks less of itself, a love that lowers itself lower than those that it, that it is displayed to. We'll see that we are to be kindly affectionate to one another. The word used here uh, in Romans 12 and verse 10, yeah, philostorgos, it's the love of the family, carries with it the idea of brotherly love or of a, a fraternal type of affection. Romans 12 and verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. <clears throat> if we have this level of love for one another, if we truly love those who are within the church in the way that Christ, in the way that God has, has commanded us to love one another, it's going to change us. It's going to change not only the way we interact with one another, it's going to change the ways in which we think about one another. It's going to change how we consider ourselves as opposed to one another. Do we look for opportunities? Do we look for times to, to, to gather together with one another? Do we look for times to esteem one another as higher than ourselves? Even if it means that we have to go out of our way. Even if it means that we have to sacrifice our desires and our time. It should be evident that the command to love one another requires displaying a true and a heartfelt affection towards another. Whether it be Jesus, whether it be a spouse, whether it be children, or whether it be brothers in Christ. If commanded then it must be something that we are capable of doing. Or it must be something that we are capable of developing within our lives. And by the grace of God, we are taught how to love one another. We are taught by God Himself in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and in verse 9. Concerning brotherly love and concerning agape love. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9 says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write for you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. We're thinking of the, the many ways in which we are taught of God's love for us. Taught in the fact that He has created us, created us last amongst His creation. I'm so thankful that God created us last so that there's no way that man could ever stand up and say, I had a hand in this. Maybe that was my idea. God loved us enough to even look through the, the fact that we are a very self-centered being. We oftentimes think of ourselves to know the temptation that there would have been if He had created us first. But God created us more so than just last. He created us in His image, as we talked about in class this morning. God provided for us in the ways that we needed providing. And then God also interjected His life into our lives. Not just sporadically checking in on us to see how things were doing, but really immersed Himself into our lives. Really made it His purpose to be a part of a man's life. And even though we rejected, and even though we disobeyed, and even though we ran away, He continued to create ways to draw us back and to redeem us. Seen most perfectly through His Son. In 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, when he when we read of him sending his son. First John 4, verse 9. It says, By this the love of God was manifest in us that God 
has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sin. What is so interesting is a propitiation was something that man often did for their sins to appease a God. And yet God understanding that there was nothing we could ever do to appease the wrath that he had for us. To, to, to pay back the debt that we owed, there was nothing that we could ever give, decided to reach out and give his son on our behalf. In that we are taught by God to love. We are also taught by Jesus to love. 1 John 3 and verse 16, on how he was willing to die for us. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We see exemplified in Jesus' love. John chapter 11, a book that is full of the love of Jesus. John chapter 11 speaks of, of Lazarus and of Mary and of Martha. In John 11 and in verse 3, it says, So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Speaking of Lazarus. And in verse 5, <clears throat> It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus had relationships with those on this world while he was here. Those that he thought so very highly of. Those that he very much considered. Those that he had a, a, a love for. John 13, as we've already read in verse 34. Of Jesus lowering himself and submitting himself to his disciples. Verse 1 said, now before the feast of Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. We see the links of Jesus' love on this, wor on, on this world. In John uh, 13 and verse 23, it says the, there, was, excuse me, there was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples who, who Jesus loved. And also again in John 20 and in verse 2. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. So oftentimes this disciple whom Jesus loved, whom Jesus seemed to have a special relationship with, a, maybe a deeper care um, that he had for the rest of the disciples is considered to be John. But in Jesus' in Jesus's life we see exemplified over and over and over again a love. A love that was always in motion, a love that was tender, a love that was, even up until the end, enacted towards man. We were taught to love by Jesus. We are also taught to love by Paul. He taught Christians how to walk in love, back over in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you. And gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. He taught other Christians how to walk in love by turning their minds back towards God and towards Jesus. As we read in Ephesians 5, verse 25, he taught husbands how to love their wives. In Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, he, was, well, he taught us to practice brotherly love. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Paul had a true care for those. A true care for those that he, that he 
labeled as brethren. He had a true care for the, 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 not only the well-being of his brothers and sisters in Christ, not only the physical needs that they had, but even deeper than that, he had a care for their spiritual life. Whenever he saw things that were going wrong in, in congregations, when he saw those who were departing from, from the Word of God, and he saw those who were struggling to understand and who were sometimes bringing in their own thoughts and were being tempted and drawn away by those who, who tried to pull them back to Judaism, Paul loved those who, who were marked as brothers and sisters enough to say something, to be moved, to reach out to them, to encourage them, to lift them up, even to rebuke them and to admonish them. We were taught to love by Paul. We were also taught to love by Peter. He taught us to love one another, both with phileo love and with agape love, and to do so fervently. In 1 Peter chapter <clears throat> Chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 22. It says, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. He goes on to say in chapter 4 and verse 8. Above all, keep, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Peter taught us to love one another. He taught us to love the brotherhood, as seen in 1 Peter 2 and verse 17, just as Paul taught. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. And he also told us to look towards each other and recognize each other as brethren. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 8 says, To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. He taught us over and over again to practice love. We also see that older or that other Christians teach us to love. In Titus chapter 2, we read of the older generations that would teach the younger generations to love. But also in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Start reading with me. Uh, start reading at verse 12. It says, let no one look down on your youthfulness. Rather, in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example to those who believe. Every Christian, even young Christians, need to be setting an example of how to love. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you towards one another grows even greater. We are taught to love by God. We are taught to love by Jesus. We are taught to love by His disciples, uh, the apostles Paul and, and Peter. We are taught to love by one another. We can develop heartfelt affections. Phileo love can be added to agape love. Look back over at 2 Peter for just one more time. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. As we have this list of things that, that, that Peter talks about, that we add to our faith, that we supply. When it talks about supply, the word there carries with the idea of, of exceeding abundance, to, to, to lavish, to, to really pile on, if you will. Uh, and in verse 7, 
It says, in your, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. We add to our brotherly kindness, which is that phileo type of love, that tender type of love, the, one, the love that, that allows us to consider one another and to think about others, to look at our brothers and our sisters and to esteem them as higher than ourselves, to look at them and say that they are important to me and that I, I, I want to show that love to them. If we add to it the agape love, the love that we see from God, the love that we should show to one another. We need to be adding that love to it and it will enhance our love. It will grow our love and it will make our love more stronger and our love more real. Displaying agape, that act of goodwill, and displaying uh, or displaying that to others will also cause the phileo love to increase and to follow. Look back over to 1 Thessalonians again. Chapter 4, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 9 says, Now it's the love of brethren. You have no need for anyone to write to you. You yourselves are taught by God to love one another again. But there's no need to talk about it, the, the phileo love because the agape love in their life as taught to them by God, if they enact that love, the tenderness, the care, it's going to follow. It's going to come with it and it's going to grow and to increase in our lives. See, we cannot excuse the lack of heartfelt love towards Jesus, our brethren, our families. We can't excuse the lack of it by making a distinction between agape and phileo. Both of these loves are commanded, and both of these loves are meant to overlap with one another. And where we lack a heartfelt love, we need to acknowledge that as a deficiency in our lives. Just as we had acknowledge any other deficiency, you hear so often a a B12 deficiency. I don't have enough energy to get through the day. I feel lethargic and tired. We acknowledge that there's something wrong in our lives. We need to, to have a supplement that is going to increase that. We need to acknowledge a deficiency of a heartfelt love towards one another as a sign of spiritual immaturity. We need to be willing to relearn love, if it will, whether it be agape or phileo. We need to learn to love others with this heartfelt love. We need to look at the examples that we see in the Father, examples that we see in Jesus and the Apostles. We need to look at the examples that we see in each other. And then we need to take initiative. We need to take initiative to start practicing agape love. To start enacting that love within our lives towards others. And to start developing the tenderness that phileo love is that will come naturally in these actions. See, we have been purified, as we read in 1 Peter 1.22. We have been purified to have an unfeigned affectionate love for one another. That is the Philadelphia love. Do we love one another in the agape sense as fervently as we should? Are we moved to action as fervently as we should? I hope that you'll be more attentive to the love, both in your affection and both in your action. Maybe you haven't been loving Christ the way that, that you know you should. Maybe you haven't been obediently following His commands. One of those commands we see is told by Ananias being the mouthpiece of God to Saul, found in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, he said, Why do you wait? Why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. The only way we have that hope for the forgiveness of sins comes through the watery grave of baptism. When we, when we are buried into the likeness of Jesus' death and raised up into the likeness of His new life, putting on Christ. If you haven't done this today, then I would ask, why do you delay? Why do you wait? Maybe you have. 
Maybe you've done and made those first steps, but you haven't allowed the love of Christ, the love of God to mature and to grow in your life. Maybe you've allowed it to do just the opposite. You've allowed it to stagnate. Whether, you, whether what you're needed today is for the cleansing power of Jesus' blood or to make a confession for some sort of public sin, maybe you've not been living as one who's filled with the love of God, I'd encourage you to know that whatever your need may be, we are here this morning to help. We are here looking to assist one another, to show one another love, never to show one another judgment, but rather to put our arms around one another and to walk with one another in one accord as we take that trip towards heaven. I would hope that you would know that, and I'd hope that you consider those things. And if there's some way that we can assist you, come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.